Thank you so much, Sarah, Rachel, choir, and congregation for singing out the reminder that we belong to the kingdom of God. That was a beautiful musical recap of the Beatitudes that Pastor Rebecca preached on last week. And we are going to pick up where she left off in continuing the Sermon on the Mount. So very briefly before I dive into our scripture reading this morning, I want to orient us within the Gospel of Matthew. So at this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has recently begun his ministry. He started proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. He has called people to follow him as his disciples. He's been healing people. He's been performing miracles. He's been casting out demons. And as a result, word has spread about Jesus. This is no ordinary man. Jesus is a miracle worker, a teacher, a rabbi, and a healer. And so then we get to the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds following him, he went up on the mountain, and it says his disciples came to him. So based on the context of what's going on and what's written in scripture, we know that Jesus is primarily addressing his disciples, but there are crowds following, so the crowds are there to overhear what Jesus is teaching to his disciples. And regarding the structure of the Sermon on the Mount, it really is a beautifully written out and logical pro 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 progression so Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. He describes the character of a disciple. What should a disciple look like? And just as a quick recap, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. Those are the ones who shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's the character of a disciple. And then Jesus moves from, he shifts from addressing the character of a disciple in general to directly addressing his own disciples by further clarifying the character of a disciple. So hear what Jesus has to say in Matthew's gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to, I have not come to, to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished." Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Church, will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for your presence here, and Lord, we ask that your spirit moves. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God the Father Almighty. Amen. So Jesus opens this section by making two analogies, comparing his disciples to salt and light, to teach his disciples about real discipleship. What does discipleship look like? And so in the first analogy, Jesus uses salt. At this time, rabbis would sometimes use salt as a metaphor for wisdom. So as a result, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it then be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus is essentially saying, disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if you lose your wisdom, if you grow foolish, if you stop living the life that God has called you to, then you're not a useful disciple. Those are harsh words, that's strong language, and that's intentionally strong, because real discipleship is supposed to be lived out. It's supposed to be lived out. And Jesus uses the second analogy of light in a similar manner. He says, you were the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Disciples, you are the light of the world. A city filled with light on a hill will be seen in the darkness. Additionally, a covered light isn't useful. You don't light a lamp or a candle and then put it under something because it doesn't serve its purpose anymore. When a light is lit in a room, it is not hidden. Rather, it is set in a place where everyone in the home can see it and it gives light to everyone. And just as that light provides light to everybody in the room, so too your light will provide light to those who see you. But what is your light pointing to? What is your light pointing to? Jesus explains that real discipleship, lived out disciple, lived out discipleship, lived out holy living, points to God. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A disciple who does not live out their calling to be holy is as useful as tasteless salt and, and a covered light. Lived out holiness and holy living points to God himself and it glorifies God and points others to God. To God be the glory alone. We don't live holy lives to receive praise or accolades. We live holy lives for the glory of God the Father Almighty to point others to God and to stay in covenant relationship with God. Now what are these good deeds? What is this holy living, this discipleship that we're supposed to live out? What does that look like? Jesus doesn't go on to provide a new set of rules and regulations for us to follow. Instead, 
he draws upon and points back to the Old Testament. He draws from the covenant that God established with Israel. And Jesus declares, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It's important to note at this point that when Jesus says the law and the prophets, at this time, Jewish people would use that phrasing to refer to the entirety of the Jewish scriptures and what we now know as the Old Testament. And so in these few verses, Jesus sets up the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. In these verses, Jesus directly states that he did not come to attack or upend the law. He came to bring the intended goal and purpose of the law and prophets to their completion and fulfillment. And that law that Jesus fulfills and completes shall not disappear until the fullness of the kingdom of God comes when Christ returns in final victory what we're looking forward to, that second coming of Christ. Now, before we go further, I briefly want to look at God's intent for the law in the Old Testament. Because as Christians, as Easter people, we have to look at the Old Testament in light of the covenant we have been brought into through the blood of Christ. We look at the Old Testament in light of Jesus' teachings. So throughout the Old Testament, God calls God's people to holiness. But what does it mean to be holy? What is holiness? To be holy means to be set apart, to separate or to distinguish. In the Old Testament, God established a covenant with the Israelites, and through this covenant, God called Israel to be a set-apart people. They were a people set apart from the nations that were living around them, and a people set apart for God alone. Why? Because Israel chose God to be the paradigm, to be the model for the, world to, for, for the world to help the world see what it looks like to be in covenant relationship with God and to look ahead to Christ. Now remember, God chose Israel before Israel chose God. Israel didn't do anything special. They weren't more worthy of love than any other people group. But God loved them. He loved them and called them to be in relationship with him simply because he loved them. And then when he established this covenant, he set them up to be the model for the rest of the world, to be that city on a hill, that light, to be the model for what it looks like to be in covenant relationship with God and to point ahead to the coming kingdom of God through Christ. So I want you to remember that. God simply loved Israel and brought Israel into covenant relationship with himself. He simply loved them. And so God gave Israel the law of Moses and the law was the covenant that God made, that God made with Israel to set Israel apart from the other nations to show them what holy living looked like and what intimate relationship with God looked like. And he set them apart for himself alone. When Israel obeyed the law, they showed that they loved God and submitted to his lordship. 
because the law transforms inward, inwardly and outwardly. However, when Israel disobeyed God's commands, their disobeying revealed that they rebelled against God and God's reign. They cast aside that covenant and that lordship, but thanks be to God, our God is faithful. Even when Israel disobeyed, even when Israel ran after other gods, God was still faithful. God still continually sought them and tried to bring them back into relationship. And as Christians, we know. We know that since before God created the heavens and the earth, God always intended to restore and redeem creation through Christ. And so God had a plan through Christ to bring all of creation back into relationship with him. And Israel was the model. God was faithful to Israel and he's fulfilled all of the promises that fulfilled the promises that he has made in the past and he will fulfill the promise that he has made to us that he will return in final victory and that he will redeem and restore us back to himself. Ultimately, the law and the prophets that God gave to Israel showed Israel how to love God and love people. The law and the prophets point to Christ's coming and the restoration of all creation to God. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled that old covenant. He fulfilled and completed it and then established a new covenant with us and brought all of us, offered a way for all of us to enter into, the, into covenant relationship with God. And so although we live under a new covenant, we are guided by the laws and commandments of the old covenant because we look at the old covenant, the Old Testament, in light of who Jesus is and in light of his teachings. And the Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful example of this because throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout his teachings as a whole, but especially the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains the intent of the Old Testament commandments. If you go on to read some of what, what, what Jesus says it, it, in the Sermon on the Mount, we can better understand how we are called to understand the covenant of the Old Testament and how we are called to be in relationship with God and other people. So just briefly, br briefly for example, regarding murder, because Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus explains, don't just avoid the sin of murdering someone. Rather, seek reconciliation with people. Seek reconciliation and peace. Don't just avoid the sin of physical adultery. Rather, don't even lust after somebody in your heart. Because by doing that, there's that inward transformation that God is doing in you. Loving God and loving people. And Jesus wants more than just robotic people who simply do and say the right thing. Jesus wants inward transformation and real discipleship and real relationships with people. It is from inward holy transformation through the work of the Holy Spirit that holy actions come. Jesus desires inward and outward holiness. He wants your whole self. He wants all of you not just parts of you, all of you. In short, Jesus calls disciples to love and obey God. 
Jesus explains to his disciples that real discipleship is lived out for the glory of God, so when others see it, God is glorified by others. Throughout the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains how his disciples can live out this call to inner and outer holiness for God's glory. Brothers and sisters, just as God established a covenant with Israel, God has established a covenant with us through Jesus Christ, and by the blood of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are brought into that covenant. Jesus calls us to holiness in all aspects of life, your public life, your private life, your family life, your work life, all of it. God calls your whole being to be laid down at the foot of the cross, and it impacts your relationship with God. It impacts your relationship with other people. And so this extends to the way we seek justice, to the way we offer mercy, seeking reconciliation and giving grace and holding one another accountable so that we can keep striving for Christ. Because God meets us where we are, but he certainly does not leave us where we are. Thank God that God moves and works and draws us closer to himself. God calls God's people to holiness, and thank God he helps us to become more holy. We are called to be holy people because God is holy. This might seem like an overwhelming and maybe even daunting task, and by ourselves it is. I know even writing this sermon, I was convicted. I was thinking, Lord, please continue working and moving in me because... I'm not perfect. I still have so, much, so many areas of growth. But I have this blessed assurance that God hasn't abandoned me and he's still working in me, making me holy, sanctifying me. But I have to daily submit, daily lay my whole self down at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I am yours. And so even though it may seem overwhelming and daunting, this call to holiness... Remember, God chose Israel before Israel chose God. God chose you and called you before you chose him. God loved you before you loved him. So remember and hear the good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ conquered sin and death for us, and Christ ascended and is ruling at the right hand of God the Father Almighty right now. And he's going to come again in final victory. Furthermore, Christ didn't abandon us to figure out how to be holy on our own. Instead, God the Father and God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to convict us of our sin, to draw us closer to God, and to sanctify us, to make us more holy. The indwelling Holy Spirit sets Christian believers apart as God's own people and sets us apart for God and sets us apart from sin and death. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow in holiness throughout our lives as long as you daily give and submit to what the Spirit is doing in your life, to what God is doing to what God has called you to. God himself is helping us grow in holiness daily. Church, our holy calling is to be God's holy people. Be holy as God is holy.